Welcome to the Point is to Serve podcast series. We exist to encourage you towards a vibrant and active faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about the Point is to Serve ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Now let's join Pastor Alan Kiesbo for this week's teaching. Amen. I hope that as we worship together, even though we're apart, that that peace that was sung about will be your gift from God to you this morning. I'd like you to think about three professions this morning and kind of ask the question, what makes them successful? Uh, Because we're starting a new series called The Art of Neighboring, and I think that ability to neighbor well uh, is dependent upon our ability to determine what is a successful follower of Jesus looked like? But here are three th- professions I'd like you to think about. A bomb, a bomb disposal person, an airline's pilot, and a surgeon. What would you consider makes them successful? Uh, if you're worshiping as a family or a small community, you can talk to each other. That's the advantage of being online. Uh, if you are on your own, you can interact with uh, the web page on the live streaming. But think about it, between the bomb disposal, airline pilot, and surgeon, what is it that makes them successful? As I think about a bomb disposal person, I've seen enough movies and TVs to feel like I'm an expert. I know it comes down to a red or a blue wire, and it, they're always so helpful because they leave a nice digital clock for you to follow. And if you ever in this situation, I, this is just a free advice, red wire. Cut the red wire and that clock will stop and you will be saved. But you know on those TV shows, <laughs> you know what success isn't. When everything blows up and everybody in the three-mile radius knows, oh, that person didn't know what they were doing. Airline pilot, I'd love to hear what you said. I know what isn't successful. Uh, crashing, and missing the airport. October 22nd, 2009, a flight from San Diego to Minneapolis. The pilots apparently got involved in a very intense conversation about airline policy, and they missed Minneapolis-St. Paul. For 150 miles, the control tower was trying to get a hold of them and, and radio them, and they weren't sure what was happening, and eventually they used this very obscure method of breaking into their conversation, and the pilots realized, oh, This isn't Minneapolis-St. Paul. This is somewhere above Lake Superior. So while they did get them home safe and sound, missing the airport certainly is not a sign of a successful flight. A surgeon, it's possible to come through surgery and still be a failure. September 14, 2009, a man went in for a leg amputation. You probably already know where this is going. Midway through the operation, the nurse was shaking her head and was just crying, and the surgeon knew that they had removed the wrong leg. Certainly not a successful surgery, although the person did survive the surgery. Have you ever thought of what it means to be successful at following Jesus? What is the mark that all of us should follow as followers of Jesus? That people and God, ultimately God will say, yes, you have it. It may surprise you. Is it mastery of knowledge? Well, in Jesus' teachings, I don't think he would say that is the sign of a successful follower. Is it faith to be in situations and know that God is going to act? Is, it, is that the sign? 
Well, Jesus would say you're getting closer, but not quite yet. Is it able to execute amazing acts when we're able to meet together at a park and you say to somebody, here, give me your lunch. I want to feed everybody. Is that the mark of a great follower of Jesus? Well, Jesus would say, that would be amazing. That'd be great. But there's something better. This scene takes place that we're going to read in most of the Gospels, but we're going to look at the Luke passage this morning. It starts with the teacher of the law questioning Jesus about this very topic. Jesus answers by asking them a question, but the power is in the story and then the final paragraph. Follow along as these words are read from Luke 10, 25 to 42. One day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus, saying, uh, Jesus, by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said, told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with the story. A Jew Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I am here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes. Now go and do the same. In these days of coronavirus, it's sometimes easy to escape in theological conversations. To talk about what is God doing, or why is God doing this, or if God is in fact doing it, and how does this all work. Those can be good conversations, but I think Jesus would ask a different question. How are you loving your neighbor in these settings? There's an old phrase that has been attributed to youth ministry that says people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. The leaders come to Jesus to question him, to challenge him, to see if they could trick him by saying the wrong answer. And, and then Jesus, instead of answering the question, what does God want for you? He asks the leader the question and they reply right. And yet, are they ready to reply in their actions? I give you a sermon thesis to kind of think about, so if you doze off during one of my amazing sermons, you can remember and, and pass the Sunday lunch test. Uh, but this one I'm especially proud of. I've never been a poet, but I am dangerously close in this one. So this is the theme I want you to remember. 
For the people who knew, Jesus said, do. Very nice. So, if you fall asleep somewhere along the process, remember this. For the people who knew, Jesus said, do. It's one thing to know, it's another thing to do. Jesus says our actions communicate our heart. It really communicates that we really are followers of Jesus, not by just what we know, but those occasional acts where we are better than ourselves, but our heart is displayed by our actions. The story is, a, is rich in pushing against the religious leaders of the day. Like the most cultures, the religious leaders had a look-and-see approach. The religious leaders looked like religious people. They wore the right things. They had their hair done with uh, spiraling curls coming down that would remind them about the uh, flat trees they would wear. Somebody could see somebody a block away and go, oh, they must be close with God. They must be connected to God. And Jesus says, no, 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 there's a much better sign than how you look. Conversely, it was true. People could look around and say, oh, those people aren't liked by God or those people aren't connected to God because they don't look like religious people. They were called people of the land, those people who didn't qualify to be super religious. And Jesus says, no, you're missing what it means to be an obedient follower of Jesus. You are missing what it means to have a heart like the one that will change a world. Jesus says, look at people's heart. And you do that by their actions. In one hand, Jesus is lowering the bar, making love a very simple thing to do. On the other hand, he's raising the bar. Because now instead of by lineage or by who you associate with, that you are special to God, now God says, no, no, no. It's everyone who has a heart to do what I want them to do. That is the invitation in this story. Everyone can do it. It lowered the bar in the sense that everyone has access to it. It raised the bar in that now there are no shortcuts, no loopholes. Now all of us are invited to follow this instruction. How is it that we can look at somebody's heart through our actions? In Matthew 7, 20, Jesus says this, that as he's talking about these trees, you know a tree by its fruit. He says this, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. We see the, good story, we see the story of the Good Samaritan with someone with a good heart. His actions reveal his heart. And God says, this is the type of heart that honors me. Our actions also communicate our transformation. I think transformation is the end of the story in a sense. Have we been changed by the love of Christ? Are we, are we living in a way that we, we see that we have been most changed to the core of who we are? I heard one pastor confess, I know that I'll be changed because my right foot will be the last part of my transformation. For him, he was confessing a problem with speeding. A problem that he would know, when Jesus fully transforms me, I'll slow down a little bit. I think for us, as we live in neighborhoods, we are invited to let that be the transformation, the mark of our transformation. That we would know what it means to be so much loved by Jesus that it oozes out of everything we say, everything we do. In 1 John 4, 19, 
the writer confesses, we love each other because he first loved us. Transformation doesn't start because we have a strong desire to follow Jesus and we work and work and work at it. Transformation occurs when we've been loved by Jesus to the point that we know on our good days, on our bad days, the love of Jesus is available to us. That we can come to him in our brokenness and at our very lowest point and know that Jesus loves us. When we bask in that love, when we bask in that sense of there is no place or nothing I can do or think that Jesus will stop loving me, but that he has loved me to the, to the final act, we then have the chance to be transformed by his love to where we can love those around us. As Jesus is preparing for the crucifixion and he meets with his disciples for the last time, he leaves them with them one commandment has nothing to do with memorizing the Torah, nothing to do with doing amazing acts. He says, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. In the story of the Good Samaritan, we see that actions communicate our commitment. The Samaritan, it's only a story, but we can assume if somebody's heading on that road, there was a reason why the Samaritan was going. He probably had a plan for the day. He had a reason for being there. He just wasn't out looking for people who were beaten up. And when he sees the stranger, he realizes that he has a choice. I have these plans. I see this need. He chooses by his commitment to take care of the person who is in need. This is in contrast, and this is probably the most surprising thing for the original hearer of the story. The people who heard the story for the first time, they would have been agreeing with Jesus about the priest who would not stop because he was on his way to serve God. And what greater thing can you do than to go to the temple? And for the Levite, or as New Living Translation calls it, the, the temple assistant. As they went over and looked at the man wounded, there were religious laws of the Old Testament that said, if I touch somebody who is bleeding and I get them on me, I won't be able to serve God, which is, isn't that the highest thing we can do? And so the people may have been agreeing with Jesus that that was the right thing. And then Jesus turns the story completely upside down when he says this despised Samaritan goes over to this person and serves God by being present to this person who has become his neighbor through this crisis. Sometimes as followers of Jesus, we can talk ourselves out of being faithful to our neighbors because we believe we're on a higher calling. Jesus would say as we serve our neighbors, we are serving our Savior. What is being successful or mature follower of Jesus? It is to love our neighbor. In the Matthew 22 passage, it, it, it's the same similar story without the parable but it ends with this statement. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love your neighbor, love God, all of the Old Testament. What does God choose? He chooses this. I know loving our neighbor can be hard. We have a couple in our neighborhood. I'm going to use made-up names because we're in our neighborhood. I'm going to call them Roxy and Fred. Roxy and I have a great relationship. Uh, when I'm walking down, she's very prone to come, and we, we, we kind of have a little time together. And, F and Fred just kind of stands off and e even backs up a little bit. If I'm working in my garage, Roxy will 
see the garage door open. If the garage door is open, come on, we'll just hang out and, and just be together. Fred, on the other hand, always kind of moves back. Sometimes I can throw a stick and Roxy will go get it. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I not tell you these are two dogs in our neighborhood? See, Roxy and I are friends. She comes to me. I can throw a stick. She knows if our grand dogs are coming, I'll have treats in the garage, and she knows that I'm ready. Fred, though, just stands back and barks and growls at me. Well, sometimes those are the people in our neighborhood, aren't they? It's easy to connect with the Roxy types, the ones who come towards us. I won't try throwing a stick, though. That, that's just for dogs. And mom probably not give them dog treats either. But God calls us to love the Roxy and the Freds in our neighborhood. And it's done by how we live and how we show love. It can be hard. And that's why we need times together to connect and study and plan and strategize. The LifeServe groups will be starting this series this week on the art of neighboring. We have been having great success, believe it or not, with an application called Zoom. We are actually face-to-face even though we're scattered by the distance. If you would like to be a part of a conversation and you can say, I don't know how to love my neighbor. <laughs> they drive me crazy or whatever the reason is. That's where the LifeServe group has such a powerful invitation for you to come and share. They're saying, I want to do this. I just don't know how. That's an invitation for you. You can go on our website or you can go on Facebook and you can click the link. You can email office at the point and say, I need help. I don't know how to love my neighbor. And there will be life serve group opportunities that we will communicate to you that you can join us and make this a conversation instead of a burden. Well, for the people of Jesus' day, Jesus said this, the people, for the people who knew, Jesus said, do. The art of neighboring doesn't end with the conversation. <laughs> that would be easy. The art of neighboring ends with us loving our neighbors. Let's be honest. More of us know a lot more than we do, right? In this time of coronavirus, the curriculum we're using has also been adapted, and we have ideas for how to love neighbors in a corona-19 virus situation. Lots of practical ideas, lots of opportunities to share. This is something that God wants us to do. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, was it just a theoretical, philosophical idea? I don't think so. Jesus wants us to do this. In the season ahead, may we find joy and growth and transformation as we intentionally pursue this command to love our neighbors. Let me pray for us. Dear God, thank you so much that you are God who loves us, that you invite us into relationship, that God, in that story, the religious leaders who kind of move theological and then the Samaritan who moved relational. God, you call us to be people who support and encourage and strengthen relationships by acting like you acted, by loving the way you love, by forgiving the way you forgave. God, I pray for the neighbors that we are surrounded by, that these would be rich days of connecting as the weather warms up and we're now outside a little bit more. I pray for conversations between us as we talk across six or more feet between the sidewalk and the driveway, that those would be rich and redemptive conversations, that our stories of how much you have loved us 
would be communicated through those messages. Be with us in the days ahead. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Point is to Serve podcast series. For more information about pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ or information about the Point is to Serve ministry, visit our website at thepointistoserve.org. Thank you and God bless.